Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast, guys. I'm Kalen, and I'm going to be your host today. I'm flying solo as we go through another little episode here of our listener slash follower question and answers. So we're going to give this a shot, man. This is my first time doing a solo podcast, so we're going to see how this all goes. So for those of you guys who are joining us for the first time, uh, some background on what the Modern Day Sniper Podcast is. Uh, it's dedicated to, to discussing the most up-to-date and relative information that surrounds the lifestyle and the journey that we're all on of being modern-day riflemen. Uh, whether you're a military or law enforcement professional, um, long-range shooting enthusiast, a hunter, or a precision rifle competitor, you're, you're listening to this podcast because you're dedicated to the craft, just like we are, and you're a forever student because this journey is pretty much endless in our pursuit of becoming the most well-rounded rifleman we can be. So, all right, man. So let's get into the meat of this. So today we're going to talk about a bunch of questions um, that we've gotten from our listeners. And uh, so the first and foremost thing that we've been getting a lot of lately is, is what, what is this whole thing of putting mindfulness behind the rifle? What is that all about? And it's it's something that's going to be a little different for everybody. And what I mean by that is you guys are all, uh, everybody has their own methodology of thought process. Everybody has their own methodology of how they approach things and come at things. And so really what being mindful behind the rifle is, is, is perspective. It is seeing things through a different lens. And what I mean by that is is just being able to, to look at a situation and uh, have some perspective that surrounds it and utilize that perspective to solve the problems that's presented to you. And that's really what shooting a rifle is all about, is, is solving problems. Whether that problem be a position that you're trying to get into, whether that problem be a wind scenario that's got you really spooked and sketched out and you really don't know if, if that first bullet's going to go where you want it to. So... The other part of that is is setting your intentions. Um, and so those intentions that you set are surrounded by um, what what you're in this whole thing for and why is it that you're choosing to participate in this sport? So what um, what are you looking to accomplish out of this? And so that is important because when you if you don't set any intentions and you're just kind of going through it, um, living in your ego, so to speak, you're going to have a rough road. And and what I mean by that is you're, you're going to hit, you're going to hit plateau points and you're not going to understand why you're in that plateau. You're not going to understand why you're not progressing. And so setting your intentions and then setting reasonable goals with those intentions is very important to our progression. And so something else that, that I wanted to talk to you guys about too is, is and it, it goes along the lines of this mindfulness routine. And a lot of what mindfulness is too is, is just being present and not thinking about the future, you know, not thinking about um, what you have to do in the next five minutes, not thinking about what you got to do in the next half of your day, not thinking about what you have to do on your list at home. It's just being right now and looking at the situation that's right in front of you and staying right there. And you're not focusing on the past either. You're not focusing on what just happened 30 seconds ago. 
So a lot of that, a lot of the ability to do that comes from just how you start your day and what you do at the beginning of your day is, is pretty important because if you think about it, when you wake up, the first thing that you do when you wake up is you come from a place of, of subconscious, right? You're, you're sleeping, you're in a dream state and then it's time to wake up. And when you wake up, your day is going to be set by the stimulus that your body receives the moment that you become consciously aware of it's a new day. And so trying to set a really good morning routine, don't jump right into the social media forums. Don't jump right into the Facebook and the Instagram stuff. And, and honest me, I used to do that too. And it's, it was like wrecking me and I had to get away from it. So what I've, what I've started doing is I get up in the morning and I just have a morning routine where I just sit with myself and I could listen to, um, I could listen to a little Alan Watts. Uh, I enjoy, um, a cup of tea and I just kind of let myself wake up and not think about what's going to be in it for my day. And I just, uh, I just sit in, in silence and, and I sit there and I'm, I'm super grateful for everything. I just recall all the things that I'm grateful for in, in that day or in that particular moment or wherever my headspace might be. So, and I've noticed, man, it makes a huge difference in how you approach your day. And I'm not like, I'm by no means a hundred percent disciplined at this. You know, I don't, I don't always do it. There's days that I, that I slip up and I miss, uh, there's days that I let my mind get away from me. And, uh, before I know it, I'm like off on some tangent and I can notice a significant change in the way that my day is going to go or, or my day goes. So I really, uh, make it an effort to set my intentions for the day after that morning routine is over with. That's when I go ahead and get into the routine of my day. And so at the end of that little session, you set, you set your intentions for the day. Say, okay, man, what am I going to accomplish today? And how am I going to approach this day right now? And do your best to stay present in everything it is that you do. And that's really, you know, the, the starting point of mindfulness behind the rifle. So there you go, guys. Uh, that's a little bit of, uh, I think we're going to try to do that um, in the rest of the episodes going forward is just to talk about mindfulness a little bit. Um, to, to just to set the, set the tone of what it is that we're going to discuss. So, um, I, you guys have been probably following us on social media a little bit and more so now because everybody is locked up. Um, well, not necessarily locked up. That's not the best way to, to say that. Um, people are, uh, being respectful of the current situation, right? Wherever your head is at regarding, you know, what's going on in the nation right now, just again, going back to that perspective thing, especially even our community, you know, our, our community, our industry, um, there is, there's, there's companies that are looking at this and saying, well, you know, I do not know what the future is going to bring. We're in a really tumultuous time. And, whether or not you, you know, wherever your feelings are, it doesn't really matter in that sense, because this is going to affect everybody in one way, form or another. And so, you know, when you have that perspective, just realize that, you know, there's companies out there right now, um, in our community as in the firearms community, uh, that are looking at this and saying, man, I really don't know what the next couple months going to look like. 
and, and just, you know, just think about that. Just have some perspective. You know, if maybe somebody doesn't get back to you in time or, uh, or, you know, what you think should be in time, just realize that, man, there's a lot bigger fish to fry out there right now. So, uh, what has been coming up lately is you guys have probably been seeing some posts on online training and we are working feverishly at the moment to release our first online training course. And if you want to hear about that, or if you want to make sure that you get the best gouge on that, um, I would encourage you guys to head over to, uh, www.moderndaysniper.com and get signed up for our email list because this month we're also going to be releasing our first newsletter and uh, our, our newsletters are going to start coming out with uh, just a little blurb about what's happening uh, in the industry in the precision shooting community within our scope uh, um, and then we're also going to be throwing out some little tips and tricks and stuff like that with regard to the instructional aspect of it and uh, links to the podcast, links to the blog stuff and all that jazz. So, um, but it's going to come with good information. You're going to be getting downloads also of um, uh, maybe some checklists, maybe some, you know, topics of the month that we're going to discuss. Um, and it's going to be for everybody. We're going to try and put put some information in there for everybody, for our, for our military and law enforcement guys, for the enthusiasts, the hunters. There's going to be a little bit of something in there for everybody. So head on over there, get signed up um, so that you can hear about that and the new online training programs. So what we're looking at, guys, is... Uh, first and foremost, we're going to do online training a little differently than what's been done in the past. And the way that we're going to come at this, we're going to build specific courses. And as an example, our first course is going to be the circle of components. And the circle of components is, um, it's one of those things that the reason that I put this together is there are so many people in the shooting community that are either new to long range shooting, um, new to rifle shooting in general, whether it's your, your long range shooting or not. This is a, this is a, a period of instruction, if you will, that's going to encompass everything that goes into your shooting system, the rifle, the optic the, and the ammunition, as well as you, the shooter. So all four of those things have to work together in harmony in order for us to extract the most potential that we can from the system itself, the tangible system. So we created a course that's going to take you through step by step. We're going to talk about everything that goes into building a rifle. We're going to, we're actually going to build a rifle with you. Uh, if you, if you wanted to, so we're going to show you all of the little things and nuances that, that can bite you in the ass if you're not paying attention to them, because really what ended up, what I, what I came to the conclusion was is that the first two days of most of the rifle packages that, that we shoot or that we, that we put on, we're just still fighting the setup. You're fighting the setup. Um, maybe perhaps somebody's mounts uh, came loose, or I mean, we've had chassis systems come loose from barreled actions and it's just, it can be a nightmare. And so what we want to do is, is build you something that you can have access to, um, for what I believe to be a really, really reasonable price. Granted, I think you're going to get probably about, we're almost done with the edits right now, but so you're looking at probably about 12 hours worth of instruction surrounding that whole thing, the circle of components, because now I don't have uh, a time constraint. Um, and that's the other big thing about a rifle class is that 
um, you're constrained by time. And so now I have the ability to communicate uh, as much information that, you know, that I believe that you should know with regard to your own shooting system. Um, I think everybody should know how their rifles put together. I think everybody should know, uh, you know, the details of what's going on in, in the barrel. Um, the chamber, how that barrel is assembled to the action, all of these things, man, it, it, it all makes a difference in your ability to, um, number one, uh, unlock the potential in the system. And number two, know what to look for when things don't go the way that you want them to. So that's a big deal. Um, so that is the first of many. And um, we're going to build these in blocks. And the progression is going to be uh, your progression as a rifleman, as a precision long range shooter. And starting from A to Z, uh, basic to quote unquote advanced, whatever it is that you want to call advanced. It's different for everybody. So um, that's coming and we're really excited about doing that. And uh, we're also going to be moving our mentorship program to a virtual mentorship program. So what that means is you are going to be able to get some virtual coaching because of, you know, the travel restrictions, the travel bans right now. Um, and to be quite honest, you know, what's coming up down the road, people are not going to be able to travel as much for, you know, for just economic reasons, nobody really understands where it's going to go or how exactly it's going to go, but we just know that it's going to be difficult. So we're going to do virtual mentorship programs. And the skeleton of that is, is going to be released here very shortly. We're almost done working on that. And then we are also going to be jumping into a monthly subscription-based service. And again, we're just uh, still working out the final details of that, but expect that to release here pretty quick. And, and um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about all of it because it's a way for us to connect to you. And that's exactly what we want to do. Um, we want to remove as many barriers to entry as we can. And we want to be able to touch as many, um, as many, uh, listeners and viewers as we can. And I want to be able to connect to you the way that you receive information, the most clear, the most clear that's, that's what we're in the business of. We're in the business of communicating information. So that's it, guys. Uh, again, another reason to head over to moderndaysniper.com, get signed up for the email list. And um, so let's jump into the Q&A. So some of these, I have the names of the individuals, and all of this is coming from either Instagram or Facebook. And uh, it's, uh, it's awesome, man. I really appreciate you guys throwing the questions out there. And we do our best to get back to you, uh, especially with all this crazy times right now. We've really been working hard to tend to all of our customers because we've had some cancellations and um, moving things around. So we just appreciate your patience, first and foremost. All right. So first question here, barrel contours. What are they? What's the best? And how do you choose? Um, so this came from Instagram and guys, barrel contours, um, there's really, there's all different kinds of contour labels per different manufacturer, meaning, you know, Gunworks, uh, number seven contour is, might not match up with, you know, a, a Lilja number seven contour or a Bartline or a proof research. So the best thing that I can do to tell you about, uh, barrel contours is first and foremost, identify what your mission is. What are you trying to accomplish with your rifle? 
Are we looking for a super ultralight weight hunting rig that you don't really want to spring for a steel barrel? Well, then, or I'm sorry, you don't really want to spring from a for a, a carbon fiber wrap barrel. Well, then you're going to be narrowing your focus on barrel selection down to steel barrels with lightweight contours. And so you're going to, that's how you're going to drive that selection. Um, obviously the heavier the contour, uh, you're looking at a more purpose-built rifle that's going to withstand prolonged uh, strings of fire without it walking around on you or losing accuracy. And we're going to cover, we cover this in, we cover this in great detail in uh, the online training portion. So that's where we spend like 40 minutes talking about barrels and contours and all that stuff. So bottom line, man, establish your mission, figure out what you're, what you're going to use that rifle for and base your decision on barrel contours from there. And just remember that they're all different for every manufacturer. All right. Okay. Number four, we got here, um, Steven Cruz from Instagram. Ooh getting one rifle and getting good at it and why do guys buy so many rifles well because people like guns man i don't know what to tell you steven everybody likes guns um but besides that it's you know i got guns right i got a lot of guns i got a lot of rifles um and there's always you know that age old saying beware of the man who only owns one rifle because chances are he knows how to use it and that that truly is the case but I'm going to throw a caveat in there and say the fundamentals of marksmanship apply to every single platform. So I, I can take all of my rifles and put them all out on, a, on the firing line and shoot them one by one by one. And the fundamentals are going to apply to every single one of those rifles. And so that's all another reason why we, you know, we talk about trainer rifles. So I'm going to, I have a rifle that costs me less money to shoot, um, and costs less being less cost in ammunition, um, or less cost in barrel replacements, because, you know, if, if you're going to be shooting a, a six millimeter all the time, and you're always going to be that's your training rifle as well as your 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 game gun so to speak then you're going to be changing barrels constantly and you're going to be chasing consistency throughout the entire season uh, as you learn all of these new barrels but if you just if you build a trainer rifle with like a 223 or a 308 um, the ammunition, I don't know maybe the ammunition is not much cheaper on the 223 side it will be but you're not changing barrels out is obviously those barrels are going to have significantly more life than your, uh, your, your six millimeter. So really, man, um, they're different rifles for different purposes too. So you can, you can get a rifle that's a do all, but that's really hard to do. Um, if you're looking outside the realm of practicality and if you want to get into shooting competitions and if you want to be competitive shooting competitions, you're going to have to, you're going to be forced the way that the competitive circuit has been driven now is it's, it's very, very gear dependent and the stage designs are gear dependent. So think about it from that perspective, if you want to eventually get into competition, but you can build one rifle for a multitude of things, 
but remember the fundamentals still still apply. So you should be able to uh, you should be able to pick up any one of those rifles and shoot them just as well because that is that is the goal to be a well-rounded rifleman. So that's that is my take on that. I mean, I have I do have a bunch of different rifles and I can only shoot one at one time. Um, I mean, technically I could probably shoot two, but that would be really weird. Um, it's so there, it's not a bad thing for you to have different rifles or a lot of rifles. It's just that you need to know, um, how each of them work. Maybe there's maybe, maybe each of them have a little different nuances when you're going from, you know, an eight pound hunting rifle to a 22 pound competition setup, you're not going to be able to, um, get away with as many mistakes in your fundamentals with the 22 pound competition gun as you are, you're not going to be able to get away with that same stuff with that eight pound hunting rifle. Cause it's going to, it's going to let you know that you're squirming around. It's going to let you know that you made a bad trigger press and it's going to show up really, really fast. So just keep that in mind when it comes to, you know, getting one rifle and getting good at it. Um, okay, man. So Bill Walsh asks a question about poor man's Horace and the human brain's tendency to go to center reticle when under stress. Dude, Mr. Bill, that is an awesome question. And I'm really glad that you asked that because that is a, that's a huge topic for, um, for a lot of people, especially, uh, coming from the sniper community with, with combat veteran snipers that are, that are able to return from those experiences and and discuss in detail how their bodies and brains reacted to that level of stress. So first and foremost, for those of you guys who don't understand, we're going to break this question up. For those of you who don't understand what a poor man's Horace is. So if you think about your reticle, um, you can do this with, with any reticle really that has, um, multiple aiming points in it. You can do this with a duplex reticle if you wanted, if, as long as you knew the distances between the subtensions or the markings on the reticle, you can figure out how to do this quote unquote, poor man's horse. Um, I, it's like, I, I don't even like using that term poor man's horse because it's not really a poor man's horse because it, the, there's no wind dots out there and there's no wind lines and, and all that stuff. Basically what you're building is your own custom bullet drop compensated reticle based off of your bullets performance in those specific conditions. All right. So we start off by saying, all right, how many mills, we'll just use a mill, a mill based reticle. And we say, all right, we've got five mills above the reticle center point, And then we got five mills below the reticle center point. So in reality, I have 10 mils total of travel in my reticle. So what we could do is zero um, at 100 yards at the center of the reticle and then dial up five mils, which would then put your 100 yard zero at five mils above your center point. Then in theory, we would be able to have a total of 10 mils in elevation, right? From that very top mill to the very bottom mill and whatever increments are in between. So maybe you have, maybe your increments are, you know, half a mil. Uh, maybe your increments are quarter of a mil. Quarter of a mil is going to start to get a little bit muddy when you make your card. You, you're going to do this and then you're going to look at each of those mil points. And you're going to say, okay, where's my bullet at, at 
what range is my bull at a half a mil low? Okay, it's this, write that down. Where am I at at a mil low from that 100 yard zero? Okay, or let's write that down. And so those are now going to be your come ups or your holds. And so that's the, the quote unquote, the poor man's Horace. Now, before you guys get super deep into that, um, recognize and realize that um, it depends on a lot of a lot of stuff in the sense that where is your most um, where's your most common engagement range going to be for that particular scenario? Because you might not want to have the first three mils in the outer edges of the scope's field of view. That's not ideal. That's not optimal. So if your engagement range is only going to be in this relative window, um, then it might not be that advantageous to set your reticle up that way. It might be more advantageous to dial your turret to a center point and utilize maximum point blank range. So, um, which leads us to the other part of that question, the poor man's Horace, and then the human brain's tendency to go to set a reticle when under stress. This is a big one and this is a training issue. Uh, and I, I've actually got a lot of experience with this because when, I mean, obviously I was trained on a traditional based reticle, meaning a center point reticle with mill dots, right? And so we utilize those mill dots for things like wind holds um, and elevation holds, but largely we were dialing. And what that means is your eyeball goes to the center of the scope we do tend to focus on the center of everything. And if you think about it, like if you've ever lost consciousness, everything gets black and it goes to a center point until it goes away and you go night, night. So the same thing holds true when we are under a tremendous amount of stress. For me, because my eyeball has constantly been trained to go to that center point when I'm under that stress, that's where my focus goes. Now, you know, Philip and I have talked about this extensively, okay? So like, where do you use, what part of the reticle do you use 90% of the time or 80% of the time? And um, I think what we ended up coming up with, and I might be like a half a mil off or something here, um, but I think we, we, we said on the vertical plane, no more than uh, a mil and a half below and like a half a mil above, and then on the wind plane, no more than a mil and a half, either left or right of the center crosshair. And so um, we, we kind of shaded it in, 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 in kind of like a cone shape on the whiteboard. So that way you could get a visual of what that focal point looked like. And then the distances of the radius from the center. And it's really it's it starts to get intuitive because that's truly where your brain is telling your eyes to look when when you're under stress. And so I believe it's a training issue in the sense that that's how I learned. And so that's where my brain uh, is tell, tells my eyes to go. Now I, I tried like hell to get to used to using a horse pattern scope reticle when they first, when it first came out and it first went mainstream and we had, you know, the H 59 coming out and it was all the craze, right? Everybody wanted the Horus reticles and I remember trying to use it and trying to use it 
as, as it was intended to be used. And it was really, really hard for me to do that. And the reason I think that it was, it was hard for me to do that. And by hard, I mean, I gave it a conscious effort for like a year and a half of shooting and I just never could get comfortable with it. It just never worked. And I felt as though that, that I could dial really fast if the target was outside of the threshold of maximum point blank range and optimum point blank zero, I just realized that I could be, I could be just as fast dialing. And I still believe to that to be true. And I, I know there's going to be a lot of arguments out there about that. Um, and I've, te- I've tried it, I've tested it, I've tried it and I'm, I can be just as fast dialing. And so this, the other thing holds true is that a lot of students that we see come through the course that have um, a Horace reticle or a grid-based reticle, and they're just, they're trying to focus on using nothing but holds. They tend to be, if they miss, uh, they tend to be exactly one mil high or exactly one mil low, or they're exactly a, a hard number off on wind. Um, because you're just misreading the lines because of the way that your brain is processing information. And so I drew, I do believe it's a training issue. If I took a brand new guy that had never shot a rifle before in their life, and I just showed them this reticle and said, this is, this is your new normal. Like this is normal. It would be different. And I think that, that, um, it goes along the ways of like, you know, the, the, the can't teach old dogs, new tricks you can, however, it's going to take a, a tremendous amount of time and energy and effort into, uh, reprogramming or remyelinating. If you guys remember from the, a uh, couple podcast episodes back, we were talking about like how the brain learns and really that the muscle memory is not really a thing. It's just a kind of a buzz phrase that everybody likes to say what what muscle memory really is is your nerve pathways your electrical highways getting more and more insulated with a substance called myelin which then will allow that electrical transmission to flow um, even more freely and marty i'm sorry man if if you're out here listen to this uh marty uh was um one of my team members on our, on our Iraq deployment in 2004. And he's now, he's now an MD. And so, uh, he made a comment not too long ago on, um, uh, we were talking about the, uh, the frontal lobe of young men not being fully developed until they're 25. And he said, no, man, it's, you're kind of on the right track, but really it's just not being fully myelinated. And so it's, well, yeah, I guess you could call it the same sort of thing, but, um, the, it's a training issue, man. So like, again, going, getting back off that tangent over back to the, uh, you know, the, the training issue with reticles. I think if that young, younger person or newer person to shooting, that was the very first and only reticle they ever saw, it would be a different story. So, you know, uh, Bill, that's a fantastic question, man. And I hope that I, I hope that I did it, uh, did it justice and talking about it. So, um, if you have anything else, just hit me back up and, and we can talk offline about it. All right. So the next question we have here is from our boys over at 605 Precision. And they asked a question um, about Ford off the Hornady four degree of freedom program and making tweaks to the curve and what the difference is. 
So, um, again, 605 Precision Guys, this is a good question, and it kind of goes along uh, the lines of um, our last episode talking about external ballistics. And so I really enjoy talking about external ballistics. And so, okay, the difference between the Fordoff, making tweets to the Fordoff, which is called adjusting the axial form factor, you're essentially moving... If you look at this from a visual perspective, you can go on Hornady's website and you can jump on and actually let, let me let me look it up right now while I'm talking with you guys and let me see if I can bring it up. But basically what you're doing is you are your bullet is going to follow a specific path and that path is going to be dictated by the amount of drag that your bullet experiences given a set of environmental conditions. And so that path, the, the four degree of freedom allows you to see through a radar derived drag curve, it allows you to see the entire bullet flight. Essentially, it's a video of the bullet flight. And so that that graph now or that bullets path on the graph, which is um, a drag versus mock, um, you're going to see uh, a, a pattern or the, the path that the bullet's going to take with regard to how much drag it's going to experience. What the Fordoff program, the axial form factor is doing is it's, is it's moving the entire curve on the graph, meaning it's moving the whole thing. Because the reason that it's moving the whole thing and not just bending the curve as you would with a BC-based solution or solver, you are actually moving the entire curve along the graph to match up what is actually happening with that bullet. And the reason that you can do that is Hornady knows now exactly how that bullet is going to perform in the sky. It knows the drag profile. And what you're doing is you're just kind of sliding that drag that you're not tweaking or bending the curve. You're just picking it up and moving it left, right, up, or down based upon actual bullet performance compared to the standard drag curve. And the difference is, the reason that we have to tweak that is if you have an accurate muzzle velocity, meaning you collected your muzzle velocity from a, from a magneto speed or a lab radar, you have literally the most accurate muzzle velocity that you could possibly get without getting it from a radar. And so that is a very, that's, that's no longer a variable. We have put our finger on that and we have defined it and it is now set. Okay. So you should not be manipulating muzzle velocity. Let me say that again. You should not be manipulating muzzle velocity. That is the, 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 the wild card here, guys, is the bullet's ballistic coefficient or how efficiently does it penetrate the air. And the reason that it's going to change from rifle to rifle is every barrel is a little different. Every rifling in said barrel is a little different. The type of propellant that you use, how fast you're pushing that bullet, um, all of the things that are going on to the bullet on the internal ballistic side from from the combustion of the powder to the bullet exiting the bore, all of those things affect the the bullet 
how much it's been deformed. Number one, how much has it been deformed in the bore? Because actually what you're doing is you're smashing the bullet into the rifling. You're just literally crushing it in there. And so that material has to go someplace. It's got to go somewhere and it's going to tend to elongate the bullet. It's going to be because I'm, again, I'm trying to fit something bigger into a smaller orifice. And so the other part of that is bullet stability. Okay. So how much procession is this projectile experiencing on its way to the target? And so all of those affect how much surface area the bullet has on the oncoming wind flow. And so an initial BC is just like, okay, well, we think this bullet based upon the way it looks right now, meaning it hasn't been smashed into the rifling, what is it going to do? Okay, well, we got this, we've got this cross-sectional density, we got this, we're going to divide that by the form factor and bam, we got ourselves a BC. All right, that's how this thing's going to perform. All right, cool. That's how it's going to perform if we didn't shoot it through a rifle barrel. So, when we shoot it through a rifle barrel, now we have to measure the performance and see what actually happened. And then we're going to manipulate that. And so the Ford off program making tweaks to the curve is super, super simple because we're not actually bending the curve. We're picking the whole thing up and we're moving it over or up or down or wherever the case is that you have to go based upon what actually happened at the target. And so I found it to be far more accurate. It is literally the easiest ballistic solver computer program to use out there, hands down. Um, and you know, you know, some people are complain, oh, well, it's only Hornady bullets. It's like, nah, man, they have a huge selection of projectiles in there. And look, they're, they're doing this for free for you guys. They want the information out there and they want you guys to have the best solution possible. And they want to be able to map it as accurately as possible. And so, um, I think they had it nailed down. Uh, they got it nailed down 100% with that program. That's really all I use right now. Um, there are some things on it that you know I'm I'm asking Hornady for and I'm asking Kestrel for, um, you know, features and different ways of reading data, um, you know, different ways of of getting data out. But the like the Hornady Ford off program on your iPhone, you can toggle that thing between minutes, mils, and inches. That's awesome to be able to see real time, like what's actually happening, especially for people in the United States, we think in inches. So you can utilize that tool to kind of visualize what's actually happening uh, downrange. So really cool. The forward off making tweaks to the curve 605 guys. I hope I did you justice and answered that question as well as you needed it to. Again, if I didn't hit me up and let me know. All right. So Next up, David Reed, Instagram. All right. Um, I'm thinking it was in this episode that you guys referred to Kalen's IGT video on setting up the butt pad. Um, okay, you're correct. I have two questions related to that. And yes, Mr. David, I do in fact have a minute. I got a bunch of minutes. So um, in the, it says here, in the vid, he talks about adjusting the butt pad to help with the situation where you're having to readjust cant each time you fire the rifle. Um, I didn't catch any hint for which, uh, oh, I didn't catch any hint for which way to adjust it to correct which direction of cant. Um, so first part of the question, David. All right. So let's break that up. 
Now, the, the, the butt pad, I'm thinking that you're obviously, you're talking about the, the cant of the butt pad, whether it's left or to the right, um, where you're having to readjust cant. So one part of your problem in this might not necessarily be the angle of the butt pad. And so don't be so quick to blame it on that um, because there's tons of people out there that are, that are phenomenal shooters that don't adjust their butt pad left or right. But what can help you big time is your bipod can't. And especially if you're shooting from bipods, if the friction lock is not adjusted well enough on your bipods, when the rifle does recoil, it can basically form itself into your shoulder and that's going to allow the rifle to cant whatever direction it happens to be in. So a way that you can do to get away with this, obviously you have a butt pad that cants left or right. For me, I prefer to have my butt, my butt pad canted outboard, which for me would be to the right. I'm a right-handed shooter. And the reason I want it to the right is it's, I just want to give my, my, the butt pad that much more room and that much more contact with my upper body and get it as close to my center line as possible. So like canning it to the right opens up a little bit more space in my neck where my neck joins my upper body. And it just allows me to place the rifle a little bit more consistently and with a little bit more surface area. It's not the end of the world. And yeah, just play with it. Just play with it and see what works for you and see, you know, um, if you can mitigate, you should be able to definitely mitigate the effects of cant with, as a result of recoil with canting your, your, your butt pad. So give it a shot, play with it and see how it works. Okay. So next part of that question, second question, how do you deal with shooting weak side if you've tilted the butt pad? Okay. So it's kind of the same thing as before. Like if we're shooting without a tilted butt pad, um, shooting with a tilted butt pad. Now, unless you're like, unless you have a stock with unlimited adjustment, kind of like, like the gunwork stocks do like the Magnus, um, with the adjustable butt pad and the verdict, uh, that's an infinite adjustment. If I wanted to, I could have the butt pad completely 90 D 90 degrees, um, perpendicular from vertical, uh, that wouldn't do us any good, but there is a point of diminishing returns for number one that directly relates to shooting weak side. So if you've got so much can't of the butt pad that you can't jump on the gun and make something do for a, a support side shot, then you've probably got a little bit too much adjustment built into that. Um, I shoot my rifle support side all the time and all of my butt pads are canted. Uh, it just, it, it's just, you just got to shoot it. You got to get used to it. You got to, you got to see what it feels like. And then when you do get into that shooting position and you do see what it feels like, we, we want to try to take mental notes of that, take mental notes of it, write it down on a piece of paper. Um, if that's what you got to do, uh, in your, in your shooting journal, um, which, yeah, you know, that's something else that, um, that I want to talk about. We'll actually, we'll bump that topic here to at the very end and, uh, we'll talk about shooters journals, but remember what that rifle feels like, because most times, I'd be willing to bet that there's probably 95% of you guys listening to this 
that you never shoot support side. And if you do, if you got, if you are shooting support side and you're incorporating that into your regular training, that's really important and you should continue to do so. And, and then push your limits too. When you, when you get into that position, see what you can do, see where your limitations are. Um, the 21 dot drill from sniper's hide that, um, Jacob and Frank developed, man, that thing is awesome. And there's only one section of it that is support side, but if you shoot the drill to standard, that is one shot. Um, you're, you, you've, you've already addressed the rifle. You got a mag and bolt back weapon on safe and on the buzzer, you have 30 seconds to engage five dots. They're one inch pasties at a hundred yards, one round each in a time limit of 30 seconds from support side. And Dude, if you don't shoot support side, that portion of the drill is going to eat your lunch. It's hard. It's not easy to do. But shooting the drill in that manner is going to teach you what you're doing wrong on the support side. So I know that kind of dove in a little bit deep on like some tips on support side shooting. So um, <laughs> little bonus bonus content there, David. Thank Everybody thank David for that. But um, you you really do need to practice on the support side. It's, it's super important. Okay. So, um, next up last question that we have here. Um, good point. Good IV, IGTV subject, uh, mentioned cleaning trigger tech diamond triggers at one point. Okay. So clean and triggers. Um, we just talked about this in our online training stuff too. And cleaning triggers is a very important thing to do. Not as much with the trigger techs because of the way that the, that the, that the housing itself is designed and the way that their, um, their cylindrical sear is designed. That is a key, that's a key aspect in keeping those triggers as reliable as they are and with uh, the crispness of the break in the trigger. So let's talk about that in a little bit of detail. Okay. So we recommended you, and I remember thinking the first time somebody told me like, clean your trigger out with lighter fluid. And I was like, okay, what, I don't understand what that is. Um, and then I just started to learn a little bit more about like, about what lighter fluid is. Well, it's a petroleum product. It's got oil in it, but it's also very, very lightweight. And so the reason that that works is if you have a bunch of small, um, uh, really small particulate that's in your trigger and you hose it off with lighter fluid. Um, number one, the, the, the petroleum, the oil in that is going to link up with that particulate and it's going to flush it out with the viscosity of the liquid. So that's really what's happening when you use lighter fluid to um, clean out your triggers. And so that's able to like get into all of those nooks and crannies and those tiny little orifices and fine mating surfaces in the trigger and, and flush all that stuff out. So, um, it, it's, it's a perfectly appropriate way to clean your triggers. Um, even like compressed air, it's, it's not going to do the same thing as, you know, cleaning, uh, cleaning with the lighter fluid because you're utilizing the petroleum base of that product to, get the rest of the material out of there. So that is your answer on cleaning triggers. And, uh, again, man, I can't speak, uh, highly enough for the diamond, uh, the trigger tech triggers as a whole, like all three of the models are fantastic. And the, just 
the way that they've been able to create a trigger that breaks so clean and so crisp and so predictable is just, it's just awesome. So trigger tech triggers, man, get you some of those. All right. So coming back around and talking about the shooter's journal, uh, we, we decided that we were going to give that a, a, a once over. And so I think that, that a shooter's journal is really important guys. And, you know, we talked a little bit uh, last time on the podcast and we discussed external ballistics and we were talking about, you know, data books and the progression of data books. And, and now that we have ballistic computer programs, I, I truly see, I see people not wanting to write things down and I can't stress how important it is to, to write things down. It's a part of the learning process. You know, Phil, Phil and I talk about that stuff all the time when we talk about writing out your dope cards. So there's all, you know, there's products out there that are super awesome at trying to put your data right in front of your face. Um, there's that, that, um, that weapon mounted uh, card that you can put your phone, you can touch your phone to it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got all your dope there. Um, that, that has a purpose. I do believe it has a purpose, but on the other flip side of that, there is something to be said about writing things down. There's something to be said about making that connection because writing is a, is a visual connection of learning and it's a kinesthetic connection of learning because you're actually writing, you're actually using your body. Your brain is telling your body to write something down and then you're seeing it at the same time. So you're getting this loop of information. And of course, everybody learns differently. Um, but I really believe that that having hard data that you wrote down, and that's, I mean, don't even take it from a spreadsheet. Even taking it from a spreadsheet can be uh, detrimental in my personal opinion. Like I want to write it down. I'm going to know where it is. Um, it's going to be familiar to my eyes when I see it because it's my handwriting. And so I just feel all, all around, it's going to be a, a better thing. So the shooter's journal, getting back to the data book topic, um, traditional data books, I do believe are dead. Um, and the reason that I believe a traditional data book is dead and traditional by way of, Hey, I'm writing down, um, the call of every shot. I'm going to write down the wind call and the elevation I took or used for every shot. Um, and then I'm going to wait until the impact. I'm going to plot the impact. And that stuff is just, it, it's, there is a place for that as well. And that is um, even like, I don't even think F class has, it has a place in that because, Hey, when the wind is good, man, you got to roll. Like you can't wait. You have to get those bullets in the air in that condition that you know the wind call is good for um i mean like you guys realize like wind you're literally throwing the bullet into the wind a predetermined amount and and hoping that the wind blows the bullet back into the target that's really what we're doing at in the fundamental core level so the shooter's journal i think is more along the lines of a couple things so first and foremost um, I have journals all over the freaking house, man. I have them all over the house because I don't like if I have um, if I have an idea or I have a download in my brain, um, I want to be able to write it down. And like, yeah, there's some, like I got it on my phone or I got the note thing on my phone. And there's just something to be said about writing it down on a piece of paper. 
and then having a notebook. It's almost like a, it's a journal, right? It's a journal. And it's not a journal in the traditional sense of like, I'm going to talk about my feelings in my journal and all that stuff. But no, it's about where were you at for this particular shooting session? Okay. So as an example, you show up at the range, just take a freaking moment, take a moment, stop. Where is your head at right now? in that moment are you ready to even get behind the rifle is your headspace even prepared to get behind the rifle like this should be part of your routine and what i mean by part of your routine is is when we have routines and we have habits it allows us to achieve that level of unconscious competence that we were talking about in the in a couple of podcasts ago um that was a big that was a hot one too man you guys loved it a lot of people downloaded that one and there's a lot to be said about that. And there's a lot of layers to peel back on that as well. So being able to have a routine is, is paramount to building that level of unconscious competence. And what, again, that's freeing your brain to solve other complex, more complex cognitive thought process patterns or problems rather. So like write down where your headspace is at, because if you don't think, I'm telling you right now, if you don't think that your headspace has uh, has a play in how your performance is, you are freaking dead wrong, man. You are dead wrong, and you really need to be you really need to be focusing on that. If you're like sitting there and going, man, that's a man, I don't know, he's kind of losing me a little bit. I would encourage you to stop and dig a little deeper into that and think and, and unpack it on your own and just take a, just remember what it was, you know, what your last training session was like, if you can, you might not even be able to, but it's nice to be able to go back and see where your headspace was and say, all right, yeah, I was, you know, I'm, I might've been super pissed off. You know, I might've been super pissed off. I might've had a shitty day at work or, um, I could have a freaking great day, man. I'm feeling really good. And then you can look and, and, and if you keep a journal, a shooting journal, you're going to be able to correlate your performance to where your headspace was when you started the day. And then on the flip side of that, you can then figure out where your headspace was at the end of the day. And the reason that that's important is I don't care what, what you say or what anybody says, shooting is meditative, especially if you're practicing the mindfulness that we've been talking about, which means staying present, staying in the moment and focusing on only what the task at hand is, not worrying about what you got to do, you know, when you're done at the range, not worried about what you got, what you didn't do, like listening to the, or thinking about the past, none of that shit matters. It's gone. It's, it's over with, like you can't take it back and you can't predict the future. So why even think about it? right? You just have to stay in the now. And man, that's going to transition like over into everything in, in the shooting world, because if you're really trying to take it to the next step, you should be hunting for wind in between each shot in your rifle scope. Like that should be part of your recovery process is, Hey, what wind can I see in the field of view of my scope right now? And you might not quite be at that visual acuity level yet, or your brain might not have slowed down to that visual acuity level yet to be able to tune in. But guess what, man, that is going to come with ease 
if you truly just stop for a few minutes and like collect yourself before you start shooting and figure out where your headspace is and then just tell yourself hey man like like phones getting turned off airplane mode or toss it in the truck whatever the case may be and that's another that's another good reason too to, to shoot by yourself um, I think that's really important to incorporate into your training is to shoot by yourself. So that way you're able to just stay focused and stay in your moment with no distractions. Um, but then it's also good to train with a partner because your partner is going to push you. Your partner is going to see where you're at. And then your partner should be setting up uh, problems for you to solve that you would not set up on your own. And that's, again, the, the beauty of going to a, a rifle competition is you're solving somebody else's problems. And uh, utilizing your wits and your skills and your equipment to do so. So the shooter's journal, what, what else can we put in there? Um, so obviously, you know, figuring out where your headspace is before we shoot is awesome. You know, as far as the temperature and stuff, it just depends on what you're doing. Like you could actually take that same shooter's journal and turn it into a, a, a reloading log at the same time. Um, who's to say that that couldn't? be there. It'd, it'd be a perfect chronological way to keep track of what kind of load development that you did. And it's all in one spot. It's all in one place. Um, I, I back it up on my computer. I have a spreadsheet that I use for all of my barrels um, that I, that way I can keep the round, keep track of the round counts and then keep track of all the load data. So um, I back it up on, on that, but I do have, I still have a hard copy. And any of you guys have ever shot a rifle match around or next to me, like as soon as I'm done with that stage, um, bef after I go through my post-fire checks and get my gun all squared away and, and get ready for the next stage, I'm going right to that notebook or um, it could also be the, you know, the, the stage booklet. And um, I'm taking notes, man. I'm logging down what happened. And then at the end of that training day or the end of that match day, I know shit. I will put it into my shooting log. So that way I have a recollection of it. Because if not, I'm going to forget. And so I think it's uh, I think it's really important to uh, if you're if you're really focused on progressing and you're you kind of feel like you might be at a plateau right now in your training. Well, now's the time to maybe switch something up, throw something new into your routine, um, take it a different way, take it a different step and go a different direction and start keeping a shooter's journal. I think it's, uh, it's something that would probably benefit uh, everybody. And so um, you can track, you can track um, your velocity validations or your trajectory validations. You can track all that stuff in your, in your shooter's journal. So I think it's... Um, I think it's important and believe it or not, uh, we are, we're coming out with a shooter's journal here pretty quick and we're going to make it so that it's not like I, the reason that I don't like data books now is because the way that the pages are set up, it's like, you're, you're telling me that I, that like, I need to fill it out like this. And that's just not the way my brain works. But I do think that like, Hey, where's your headspace at right now? What are you trying to accomplish today on the range? And just a whole big space talking about what it is that you did and, and your own personal feedback. I think that's uh, I think that's huge for growth and it's going to, it's going to basically, you know, trickle down into everything else that you do in your life. So hopefully that helps you out and hopefully that gives you a little bit different uh, kind of look 
at, um, at where your skills are at and it'll give you a way to track your progress. So, all right, guys, we are coming up here on the hour mark. And to tell you the truth, man, I, I had a good time with this. I, I didn't think it was going to go like as, as it went. I, I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time looking at all the questions. And even though it's kind of weird, just like standing here talking into a microphone by myself, um, it's, uh, I kind of enjoy it. So it's not that bad. So anyways, guys, thanks again for your time. We're going to wrap up here and, um, Hey, out there in the world, remember, have the perspective, think about others, think about where others are coming from, think about where others are at in their life and think about where you fit into that. Right. And so everybody do your part, stay focused, stay training, Keep dry firing in your house. If you can't get out to go shoot on the range, touch your rifle every day. Make sure that you're keeping those nerve pathways flowing freely. Make sure that you're handling your rifle and train as much as you can. Um, and that goes for your body too. Train your body. Um, you know, in these in this time when you're kind of cooped up inside, don't be eating shit food. Eat good food keep drinking lots of water, take care of your body, because then that's also going to take care or translate to taking care of your brain, which is going to make you a better shooter in the long run, going to give you more focus and the ability to become a better rifleman. So with that being said, guys, enjoy the rest of your day, wherever you're at in your day, and we will check in with you next time.